Hi Chris, how are you? Yeah, good evening Rod. Here we go, episode 53 on the 22nd of January. It certainly is, and here we go, we're in our second year. Uh, yeah, year, year two starts today, I forgot yep. about that. Absolutely. You know, start as you mean to go on with, thankfully the listeners have been saved from a big cough straight into the podcast, which for once was you and not me, so that makes a real change. And I just realised I left my heater going, so I've just turned that off as well. So hopefully that hasn't made it into the recording. I'm sure it hasn't. I don't think we're sensitive enough to pick up that in the background. And I've remembered to turn on Do Not Disturb this week, so there'll be less bings and dings from me too. So all I need now is to move my clicky mouse to the out of my hand, and we should be relatively peaceful for our podcast. Okay, where should we get on with it? Straight to follow up then. Straight to follow up. So I've got a whinge first, basically. I was listening to one of the other podcasts this week, ATP Podcast, and Casey Liss on that show had bought the Belkin mount. I'll get I'll get the title absolutely correct. Belkin iPhone mount with MagSafe for Mac desktops and displays. If listeners recall, I bought the one for laptops, which is currently per- attached to my phone and precariously hanging off the back of my widescreen here. This product isn't available in the UK still, and I wondered why that was the case. Yeah, do you know what? I went to look for this a few weeks ago and thought exactly the same because I thought, oh, that'd be quite useful for when I'm doing a video conference and I just want to use my phone and not go on my iPad for whatever reason. But you can't get it. It seems a bit odd to me because you can get the laptop one here in the UK, but but not the one for, what do they say, Mac desktops and displays. So it seems a bit odd. Normally Apple's all over this. Whether this is a balcony issue, I don't know. or I don't know. It seems odd because it's, it's not like it's got a precious part in it, surely. No, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I bought the laptop one the day it was announced. It was on the Apple Store and it came the next day of your call. I managed to give a little review on the day they were released around the world. So I don't know what's going on with this. Disappointing. It is disappointing because I would quite like it. It's the kind of thing I'd like to chuck in my bag and have it. And the ability to angle this one, which as I say is precariously dangling off my, my main widescreen display at the moment, would be really helpful actually. Because it's not perfect, and actually, I think I said this at the time, is it's too heavy for my laptop anyway. If I were to use it on the laptop mode in front of it, it sort of, if the laptop screen is angled straight up and down, it tries to overbalance a laptop. And an iPhone 13 Pro Max is too heavy for a Mac Pro. So there's issues with having this as your thing. So it seems to me you, you want to use it in this kind of mode if Apple only make use of the camera. And as we were just talking about at the top of the show before we started recording, Continuity camera cameras aren't very high quality, particularly. Whereas if you turn that off, you get a much higher resolution view, but you could only see my chin pretty much. So that's, it's not perfect. Some may say your best feature. No, I'd agree. It does worry me that the iPhones are so heavy, especially the Pro models. So it, does, it doesn't feel right. It's probably quite a feat of engineering to get something so heavy to balance so precariously on top of a laptop. It's not perfect. Anyway, I want to see this product in the UK and I will buy one and I will review it at the time because I've got very good cameras on my phone and I'd like to make use of them. The Logitech thing, I got stuck to the top of this. The built-in thing for the Philips, which is the worst webcam I've ever seen ever. It's quite hilarious when I try and use it in Windows, actually. Windows wants to use it for Windows Hello, but it's actually not good enough quality for Windows Hello, which just goes to show how, how how good Windows Hello must be at recognizing your face when you go to log in. So. But doesn't that need some IR sensor or something? I always thought it needed some additional sensor to do that. It does, but it also creates a Fisher-Price looking image. Oh, okay. Enough said. Yeah, moving on. Anyway, so that was a little whinge I had, and then I've got a second, sort of little bit of follow-up from what we did last week. So last week, you and I recorded the show using Apple Freeform. It was okay, I think. We, we have a, a complaint where 
the liveness of our show notes isn't as live as we'd like it to be when we're sort of trying to quickly add things or one of us coughs or something goes on, somebody rushes to the door and getting a timestamp in, which is the way that we do it. It's probably something clever I could do in Apple Script to press a button to record a timestamp, actually. I think other podcasters have talked about that. I should maybe look into it. But it's not very live. Freeform wasn't particularly live. Pages isn't particularly live. So this week we're trying Apple Notes to see if it's any better. And thus far has failed. I'll be honest, I didn't like Freeform because I kind of want it to be one long, thin document, not some infinite space. I don't think it worked well for my mental model. I prefer Apple Notes to Pages because I don't need any really text formatting and any of the advanced features of it. But we just tried it just before the show, and it took 25 seconds for a show note to appear when you were editing it. And I think in this day and age, we expect everything to be live updating. Yeah, and I don't know, we use Microsoft Word's online thing at work for the odd editing a document, and it's pretty real-time, and Google Docs, in my experience, has been pretty real-time. So this is per show on Apple's behalf. Yeah, agreed. We use Microsoft A365 for all our corporate stuff. It's fantastic. We you know, we co-author PowerPoints through it, and it seems to just deal with it really, really well. So I think Apple's still got a bit of work to do. But it was my understanding that Apple Notes had got all the new hotness of collaboration, but just doesn't seem to be the case. Well, the collaboration does happen. It's just after a fashion, isn't it? It's In a Google document or a Microsoft Word document, you can see where the other person's cursor is. You can see who they are and what they're typing. And this isn't keeping up with that sort of real-time communication at all. So next week, I might try something else. There's Nextcloud, which is an open source thing, which is a, a document sharing thing called Collabora built into it. I know you won't go near Google Docs. So maybe I'll try and spin up that in Portainer and Docker and see if I can get something a little more real-time up and running if Apple Notes isn't going to cut it and Pages isn't cutting it and Freeform isn't cutting it. All of which is a shame because look at all these ways we can collaborate, but none of them are doing what we want. Yeah, it is interesting because Notes has got the ability to show where your cursor is and, and all of that good stuff and show updates and things. But for some reason, just felt quite slow. Well, it's because you're on a Mac and I'm on, on my iPad. I don't know, but a bit disappointed. Well, you, that's not what's advertised, is it? I mean, we've all, well, I don't know if you did watch Mythic Quest, but there's a, a decent sequence of Mythic Quest where they do try and do all the sort of real-time collaboration. And certainly the outset of the pandemic, Apple were advertising this sort of real-time collaboration between everybody. You've got FaceTime, you've got Notes, you've got this. It's all going to come together in one seamless piece. We're three years on from that now, and we're still not quite where we should be. Two years on, because they announced it quite late in the pandemic. But yeah, agreed. It's They've got all the temple features, but it feels like mm, they need a little bit more optimization, I guess is the right word. Yep. So we're still looking. I, I mean, to be absolutely fair to Apple Notes, it's good for capturing a quick note. It syncs very quickly between my iPhone and my, you know, my Mac when I'm trying to do that quite quickly on the iPad. Pages I'm slightly less keen on. I mean, we have used it for bits and pieces in the past, but it's it's not up to the standard of, of a decent word processor like Word or others. It's quite good for bigger documents. If you use it more of a sort of a desktop publishing piece, if you're trying to do like a poster or something, it can just about cope with that. But Freeform, I don't have a particularly good opinion of like you. Yeah, agreed. I, th- I think it is good for solo work. And, that's, and if you have a pencil, I think Freeform is very good, hmm. which it- you don't have on your Mac. I don't have on my Mac. It's no good to me. Anyway, moving on. iPod port update. iPad, yeah. So just briefly, last week when we spoke, my external monitor wasn't working. And I thought, this is odd. I thought it was a bug. I installed the beta version of 16.3 to try out a few things. But it's not related to that. It looks like the port's actually broken. It doesn't always charge through the port. If I plug it into a screen in the house, it doesn't work. If I plug in my camera to transfer photos, it doesn't work. So it looks like I've got an iffy port 
on my device. Thankfully, the microphone is working, going through it now, and I can charge through the port on the keyboard, but very strange setup with it. And I'm really annoyed because I've realized how much I depend on the extended display that came with iPadOS 16 this year. So I will update further. I think I'm going to try and book myself a genius appointment, which isn't trivial because it's about an hour's drive for me to work into my week. But I want to try and get that sorted this week because... Yeah, I'm struggling without it. And I, I don't know what it means, but I did manage to get a spare iPad from work, a non-M1 iPad. So at least I've got something temporarily if I need it to work on. But it'll be interesting to go back to a pre-M1 iPad to see actually, is it quick enough to do what I want to do? Yeah, that is interesting. And it's unfortunate. I mean, this is the lack of ports on an iPad are going to bite you pretty quick when something like this goes on. And USB-C, ding, 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 is all very well. But... My understanding is that the gubbins for the ports are on the inside of the port rather than on the cable, whereas Lightning was on the cable and not on the Lightning port. So a Lightning cable would go, but the Lightning port should actually be okay. Whereas USB-C is the other way around. If the port, go, there's nothing sort of moving parts within the cable, it's all within the port itself. So if they go, they go. And you quite often get loose USB ports on devices, has been my USB C ports on devices, has been my experience. You can sort of they get, have a bit of jiggle in them after a little while. And only having one of them, that's a problem. Yeah, I'm super cheesed off because I just don't need this right now. It doesn't seem loose, it, it's not emitting any errors. But like I say, if I plug in a Thunderbolt screen, it doesn't work. If I plug in my USB-C screen, it doesn't work. If I plug in my camera, it doesn't work. Some chargers do work, some don't. This microphone does. It's all a bit bizarre and seems very intermittent. But my device is two years old, and I'm scared as to what the repair bill is going to be. You haven't just got fluff in it, like back in the dot connectors back in the day. It's not worth exploring it with a paperclip and see. No, I've done all that. I've done all the obvious stuff, obviously. Yeah, I, I'm just going to have to wait and see what, what, what the genius bar says, I think, and, and take it from there. But I'm I'm sceptical and I'm concerned about the cost. Well, I would point out the 1,200 quid you've spent in keyboards in the last couple of years when you, when you, when you start off. Well, there's that and the 1,800 pounds that the iPad cost in the first place. Yeah, that's quite a lot of money, isn't it? That's that's not worth thinking about. Should we move on, I think, because that's too painful to contemplate. Yeah. Second point, I was just going to briefly update on the Family Mac. Going down really well. The children are using it. They dive on it. They check some websites. They go back off it. It seems to link up with screen time pretty well. That that all seems to work. It's quite interesting when you edit screen time on on their device, on their iPad, saying you see all the Mac icons appear of their apps that you might want to allow them to always use and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's what I want to say on it, the Family Mac. It is actually being used. I think it's landed well, and the kids kind of get it that they need to learn how to use the mouse. I'm like, oh, this is really good. You know, we need to know how to use a mouse for future, you know, because they can see my wife and I obviously using a Mac or using our, the mouse on our iPads and what have you. So it landed well. That was all I was going to say on it. And I'll keep you posted when we maybe take the next leap into doing something different with it. You know, once we get past just browsing the web and we maybe get to send an email, it'll be interesting to see what they make of the two the carbon copy you know all of that bit of an email which we will take for granted so it is interesting seeing it through their eyes fair enough good stuff i did read an interesting article this week about how email is becoming it's less open than we thought it was there's only really a couple of big players in the email game these these days google and microsoft and other things are sort of subsumed within those big companies and if you were to try and spin up your own email server these days it takes a very long time to even get things being delivered from personalized email so it, it is interesting how we kind of see it as a technology of the past, but always being like the exemplar of an open standard. I think it's useful for kids to learn this stuff because at the moment it seems not to be going away, but it was an interesting take on it, I thought. Yeah, I don't think it's going anywhere, but I would concur on the 
several big players seem to have it got it sewn up. Microsoft's obviously a big one. Gen- in the corporate space where I'm based, every company I deal with is generally on Microsoft O365. And it is very good. And it is kind of a no-brainer. You can see why Teams is so prevalent because it's all wrapped into your Microsoft corporate account and it's an easy way for an IT team to wrap up the cost of it all. That's just the cost of having a business. So we just pay Microsoft this money. And I think O365 is very good. But yeah, it's certainly down to a few key players. Obviously, you get some companies are very Google orientated as well, but even they seem to be disappearing. A few companies I deal with, they, they've all announced that, oh, next year we're moving to Teams. Won't it be great? It'd be a lot easier than using Google because I guess nearly every organization they're dealing with, their auditors, they're all on Teams. And when people get a link to Google Meet, like, oh, I, don't, I don't like Google. So it is interesting seeing how Microsoft own the corporate space, especially here in the UK. Well, that's not news. Microsoft is always on the corporate space, really. It was Google pushing against Microsoft. They managed to get them any sort of penetration into that market anyway. So things the same as it always was, really. Yeah, fair, fair, I guess. What is interesting, though, We've done a few acquisitions. Every company we've bought has been on 0365 and companies, you can buy a tool basically to go take first name, dot last name, email address on that Microsoft tenant and move it over to this one. And you just push a button, it just does it all. It's fantastic. So actually you kind of hope, you know, if you do do an acquisition that they're on the same email platform, because it does play nicely when you just want to literally click a button and move all the data over. Fair enough. If you're going from a similar platform to a similar platform, it does make it easy. Yeah, definitely. Let's move on to news, I think. So the first story I thought was quite an interesting one. We reported a couple of weeks back on the Competition Markets Authority in the UK looking into Apple and Google and their lockdown on cloud gaming and mobile browser restrictions. And this is Apple pushing back quite hard against the Competitions and Markets Authority, basically on a technical standpoint, saying that the point of investigation had passed, 18 months had passed. It wasn't fair that the CMA were looking into this now because they'd sort of gone past their brief from which to do so. I think this is an interesting take that they're not arguing about the fact that they have got a lockdown in this area. They're just entirely going, which is a very legal point to come from. They're coming from this angle at it. Yeah, it is interesting. Oh, why can't they just shut up and get on with making it less of a monopoly and opening up the world? They've got to do it. What do you think they're trying to get out of this? Longer. They want longer where they can pull in more money from everybody and have the monopoly longer, surely. Mm. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking, do they want longer to do the changes they need to get done? Or do they want to make money for longer? But surely that's very short term is and maybe they need to get some other initiatives off the ground to bring more revenue in so that actually when they start losing revenue in one stream, they've got something ready to take over. I'm sure they're just trying to buy time. And it's both things that you said. They want more time to do it and they want to get more money with the existing status quo. But you would have thought actually pushing back against a governmental agency like this doesn't tend to win you a lot of friends. Unless, unless they've got the point and they know they've got it and the government agency have got it wrong. You know, maybe they've run out of time and they're I don't know. I don't know enough about how all this works, if I'm honest. Sure. I mean, it's a point of procedure, isn't it? It's what it's yeah. what, it's what they've pulled it on. But it's very simple for a government agency or a parliamentary agency just to open another investigation. Yeah, that is true. I mean, maybe it's careful what you wish for. Oh, you don't like how we're doing it over here. Well, we, we go again and, and we have a fresh 18 months. So it's an interesting point. Yeah, and we'll keep in mind how arsey you were last time and we'll look at you twice as closely. So I think it's a very perilous game to play, particularly as the UK is quite a small market in, in regards to America and Europe. But they're all looking at each other, as we've seen with the various Microsoft news that's ongoing. They're all watching what each other's doing. And we've seen what's happened with Apple you know, in Japan and South Korea and Belgium and is continuing to happen within the EU and the US. And it's just all of a piece for them. 
Yeah, the UK is a small market, but we do seem to have quite a voice in some of these things, though, don't we? Like you were saying with the Activision case and Microsoft, we've talked about the UK one, I think it was a few weeks ago now. So it is interesting. I just I just think this is a bad look and they need to just get on with making these changes and stop trying to argue the toss. Yeah, interesting story, though. I think it's worth a look at, the, the more complete article, but it gives you an idea that these things are still ongoing. And you think of all the fronts they're fighting this on. I mean, this is about browsers and cloud gaming. There's the App Store. There's all the other bits and pieces. There's the monopolies. It's it's really quite a big deal to be fighting on as many fronts as they are across the world and all of these things. Yeah, I'm really curious on the browser one because part of me thinks, well, sure, it's really easy. They can just allow another engine to operate, but I know they've got to do the sandboxing and the security. But to me, that seems like a no-brainer. They should let Google run their Google engine and it, you know, and Microsoft run theirs. I know Microsoft use Chromium as well. But to on that outset i think if you were just a casual observer you go well sure they just allow you know why wouldn't they allow it why why is there this restriction i know i call leaning to security and make it make it a lot bigger than what it is but i wonder how just that is that that argument of no we can't do it because of security and it's going to take us years and years and years or is there actually some meaning to what they're trying to get across there well i guess time will tell and my instinct is that the browser or WebKit is so deeply baked into the operating system that there is a technical reason for them just not to be able to swap that in with something else. But at the same time, just open it up in another app. You know, fundamentally, iOS is exactly the same as macOS, as iPadOS, as what you've got on your monitor. You know, we, we know these things interplay with each other. We know the Mac can be sandboxed. We, you know, we know they can issue security certificates and revoke them for particular developers and things. They can just ban people from using the platform. You know, see Fortnite and, and, and that whole epic trial that was ongoing. So it's a bit of a straw man argument to me that, oh, we can't, we've got to think of security, got to think of sandboxing. We know you can do it. So yeah. yeah, you've got the best engineers in the world. Get on with it. Exactly. Anyway, interesting story. Moving on. I thought we'd. F- I don't think it's finishing off on what's going on with Twitter, but it's just it's interesting what's been going on with Twitter in the last week. So last Sunday when we recorded, there had been some. There'd been no news from Twitter about it, but some third-party developers had noticed that their API keys had stopped working. Eventually, they came around, came out and just changed the terms of service, is, is what they did to say developers were using the API keys wrong, they weren't going to be allowed anymore, and they stopped using them. So now they've officially said third-party apps, all third-party apps aren't supported. So some of the biggest names in this are are Mac apps that, as I talked about last week, kind of made use of, kind of developed Twitter's platform for them. Tweetbot, I think, let me get this right, Tweetbot coined the word tweet, for example, as being that individual, you know, item that was sent out. So they were giving them that. Tweetbot's mascot, was called Ollie, which is a little blue bird. Twitter actually adopted that as their the, the, the sort of image of their service as well. So these third-party developers had been contributing to Twitter right from the start for 14 years or however long it's been running. And the API was always part of that. Now, hand on heart, you can understand why Twitter would want to get rid of the API because if you, you made use of the API via one of these third-party clients, you didn't get the advertising stream, you didn't get the features, you didn't get the algorithmically generated timeline of people's tweets that Twitter wanted you to see. They weren't able to promote the things they wanted within your timeline. So that was a distraction for the business. That's all fine. My issue with them doing this and just deciding to ban this with, you know, without actually notifying them and taking a very cowardly way of doing it, I'd say, is that the right way to do this is say, okay, you've got six months or one, even one week would be better than just for cutting you off. Because 
there are businesses contingent on these third-party applications. Several third-party developers are only small companies that are making use of this. They took their subscriptions from the App Store. They were taking subscriptions from users via Apple for the App Store to make use of the service. And Twitter just cutting this off has potentially left them massively out of pocket because they will have to refund monthly, annual, whatever the amount of money that people were putting in through a tweet bot and, and the other third-party apps into this. I just think it's a, t- a terrible thing to do. Yeah, this is awful. We spoke last week about Google closing down Stadia or Stadia. They did it really well and they're doing it in the right way. And then Twitter literally just disabled all third-party access and then said, what was their thing? And they said, oh, they're in breach of a clause or something. And then they changed the clauses after that. And then they got a comms out. It's awful, isn't it? And if they wanted to do it quickly, I mean, surely the right thing to do is, like you say, at least give a week, even that that feels a bit short because these are companies that are paying to access Twitter that then obviously, you know, then sell their apps onto their customers to make their income. It's just awful, awful way of doing business. And sure, it's got to be the final nail in the Twitter coffin for a lot of people. I guess there are many that won't, won't even have noticed that buy apps were a thing and have now gone away. But it just feels awful. What a rubbish way of doing business. Yeah. I do wonder, and we would joke about this at work, whether all of the work Elon's doing here to undo his name is actually hurting any of his other brands that he's associated with. If you want to go and buy a Tesla in the UK now, you can get one within two weeks. Whereas, you know, a few months ago, you couldn't get one for love nor money for six months. So I do wonder whether any of this is permeating outside of the tech sphere and hurting the other brands that the way they're doing business is awful. Apparently they're stopping paying rent on where they hire their office because they just deal with it legally later for, for bills unpaid. It's just, it just all seems very, I don't know, very immature way of doing business. Not very grown up, not well thought out. It doesn't feel like there's been a plan considering the acquisition of Twitter took a lot longer to go through than originally anticipated. You'd have thought it'd be a great plan of, right, we're going to come in, we're going to, we are going to let some people go. We are going to skinny operation, but we know what we're going to do. And we've got a calculated plan. Whereas everything we've seen, I think just feels very knee jerk. Yeah, I'm with you. I hadn't realized, I just want to address some of your points about Elon's other companies, really, that none of his other companies actually have a PR arm. You know, there's no sort of corporate communications outside. So when they do these kinds of things, it just happens. If, if they're going to announce new cars, Elon rolls up on stage and, and explains what's about to happen at his annual event or whatever it is. And that's what, part of the reason there's no communication, but it lets you get away with stuff like this as well. We haven't got a PR thing. We can just put it out with the developers or we can just change the term, terms of service and we don't need to because he's a sole, older, sole holder of the company. He can decide what he wants to do. Tesla isn't, and I know Tesla shareholders are taking issue with what's going on because their share price has been tumbling continuously too. Tesla cut the price of their cars by up to £7,500 on some models in the last 10 days. So as you're saying, that cars are now available and they've cut the prices, and that's unprecedented in the EV market. Especially, we're sitting here in the UK, car prices are actually going up. My car's gone up in the UK, only by a few percent, but it's, it's going up, not down. So it does feel like there is a knock-on effect here. And obviously, look, there were, there, Elon did do a poll a while ago saying he'd step down if you know if people voted for it, and everybody did. But that seems to have gone very quiet. So I just think he, he's coming without a solid plan, hasn't really thought about the business, and has run it into the ground. It's, it's horrible to watch. 
It is horrible to watch. And in the same time, he's enabled a load of people that when they were trying to take a little more corporate and social responsibility, like Andrew Tate and people like that, Donald Trump back onto the platform. And, you know, without going at the Donald Trump thing, I think it's not unfair to say Andrew Tate is an awful character. And, I'm, you know, I'm quite glad he's been caught. It's probably the wrong thing to say. If we get any feedback, well, fine. But the misogyny he was pushing out and what he's been accused for in Romania, that, that allowing somebody like that back to give them a voice in a platform like this. And I know I go back and forth on the free speech thing of what constitutes free speech. But if you violated the terms of service of the company to such an extent that you've been banned from it, I'm really not sure about free speech coming back in and allowing that to happen again. I mean, it's complicated, but I don't think Elon has done Twitter any good. I think he's done it a huge amount of harm. There's lots of people lost their jobs. There's lots of third parties, as we've just been talking about, have lost you know decades of work that they've put into this and helped enhance that platform. And it's it's a dead man walking at this point, as far as I'm concerned, Twitter. I have no interest in going back on there. I'm quite curious. We we still have the, you know, get in touch with us at Twitter at the end of the show. I don't think that's going to survive till next week, frankly. No, I think I'm done with it. I certainly haven't been check, checking Twitter at all. I think everybody I was really following has come off it. I'm still keeping an eye, you know, when you see, you know, a TV advert or the news. Are they still advertising their Twitter handles? And I don't watch a huge amount of TV, but on the ones I've seen, people are still doing it. So I don't think corporations made big decisions yet, but I think it is just a matter of time. It feels like, yeah, Twitter isn't going to be around for long. Yeah, and and at this point, I think I was a little bit sad about it going, but I'm not particularly sad anymore because it's not what it was. And actually, for me, I'm getting that sort of commentary from people I trust on, on Mastodon, which maybe it will suffer the same fate at some point down the road. But for the moment, and even corporately for, for the, the, the research that I run, I'm not keen on putting it out on Twitter either just because I think it's a toxic, a toxic burning platform at this point. I, I think Twitter's done. Sorry, I think if the only thing they're going to do to come back from this is Elon needs to distance himself and they need to install somebody else to run it. But I can't see that happening. No, I agree. Anyway, that's enough on that. I, there are two more links in the show notes. One to this story as it broke, one to Twitterific, the company that made one of the apps that defined Ollie and the rest of it that I was talking about as part of this. And the third one from the makers of Tweetbot with just a, it's quite a sad little computer generated image actually. So, so they've pulled their apps, Tweetbot and Twitterific from the app store and they're making a new app called Ivory. And their new, mas- their new mascot is an elephant called Ivory, which is why it's called Ivory. And he's just at the grave of Tweetbot, which is quite a sad little image with quite a sad little story underneath it in memory of Tweetbot, 11th April 20, April 20, 2011 to January 2023. And uh, it's just, it's a, a sad but nice little image. Yeah, I think they've done it in the right way. I think both blog posts are very good. It is sad, but they've done it in the right way. But oh, what, what a horrible thing. I just think it's awful. It just really annoys me. I agree. Okay, I think we can move on to the next story, really. And this might come back in my app of the week for reasons as well. So I just thought this was an interesting example of Apple failing to catch the tone, really. There was a new Mastodon app released. It's an open source thing. It's called Ice Cubes. They're actually doing something different and interesting with the user interface, which is what we saw with a lot of the early Twitter clients back in the day. As I say, Pull to Refresh was born in Twitterific. This new one called Ice Cubes has a whole new way of doing things, and Apple rejected it immediately for copying functionality, effectively, which is there. You could get this in a web page. Why do you need this, you know, approach? Rejected, rejected, rejected. Gruber on Daring Fireball did a post. And the app got accepted. And I just think that is awful as well. That, you know, you've got somebody inside of Apple's governance team looking at this, reject, 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 until media spotlight is brought to them and it's just let through without comment at that point. And the, again, there's another, it's not as bad as, as Twitter, but they're failing to take the pulse. They're failing to 
respond appropriately to you know shifts in market and why should it take you know an influencer like Gruber to actually make Apple change their opinion on this? Yeah, and just for context though, this isn't just a web view, is it? This is a full-on client. From from what I've seen, I've just looked at the screenshots. By the way, I think it's got the best icon I've seen. It's nice to see a really well done icon. I'm not sure why it's called Ice Cubes, but it is what it is. But it looks fantastic and it's nice to see an icon that isn't got a white box around it and some icon in the middle of it. It's a proper icon. Looks fantastic. And the app looks pretty good and they're really leaning into this sort of pink neon theme. It does look interesting and I would imagine their publicity and their rejection from Apple is probably garnering them actually more more business than what would have normally happened but i think it looks great yeah it looks really good it is good it works as i say it's open source you can build it yourself they've gone from a sole developer i've been reading to 21 developers in the last week since i've had this who've been contributing to github and they've been pushing new updates to the app store version almost every day it's gone from 1.1 to 1.7 in the last five wow i quite like that when an app app's really iterating yeah it's it's really good i've been i'll talk about it in my app of the week but i just think this is a it's a good story in the sense that, you know, you, you have the rejection and you have the good outcome for the developers that, as you say, it's an app. It's an honest-to-God app. They've spent a lot of time doing it. It's got a lovely icon. It's well thought out. It's got a good user interface. It isn't a web view. You know, that that it does do things that other apps do, but there are lots of Twitter clients. There are lots of games. There are lots of notes apps. You know, all different views of the same thing are allowed and encourage diversity in a platform. And a bit of competition, as we've said before, is a good thing. This was great to see Ice Cubes get through. It's great to see the speed it's iterating at. And it's it's a free thing you can go and download that's on the App Store or you can build it yourself open source. It works on your Mac, on your iPad, and on your phone. What more could you ask? I, I agree. This just seems stupid to me. Yeah. Anyway, so that's good. Well done, Gruber, for pushing something like this through and using his position a little bit. It's ridiculous he has to, though. Uh, yeah, he shouldn't have got to that position, should he? It just seems stupid. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Have you played much with ChatGPT, Chris? I've played none of it, know very little about it. I did listen to Cortex this weekend, which actually had a nice explainer. Cortex is a podcast on Relay FM with CGP Graham, Mike Hurley, and they actually did a good explainer of what ChatGPT is because I'd heard about it, but I just hadn't really looked into it. I found it quite interesting. I don't know if you want to summarise. I'll try and summarise. So, what ChatGPT is, is it's language models for dialogue. So what they've done is they've scraped a, b- a bunch of content on the internet and tried to do some sort of machine learning AI-based model on that. It has caught the public imagination because it seems, on first glance, very useful. You know, you can ask it to define something and it'll give you a fairly plain English description of what that is. You know, explain IPv6 to me, which is a networking protocol, as if I was five, and we'll try and do something in that area to explain it to you as if you're a fi- as a, as if you're a five-year-old or a twelve-year-old. And on the surface, it seems very plausible and together. And you can do things like, and this will come to our second link in the show notes as well. Write me a something about IPv6, the networking protocol, as a song in the style of Nick Cave, and it will try and make you a song in the style of Nick Cave, or explain this to me like a cowboy. And it will, it will do that. So again, I'm a researcher into multiple sclerosis. So I went off and I asked it to define multiple sclerosis for me. It did an okay job, but the holes in it were glaringly obvious. It was so generalized that the specifics were wrong. And this is my worry about this kind of stuff. And again, there's a link from Nick Cave in the show notes. It was one of his fans asked him to look at the lyrics that had been produced in his style. And he saw it as a complete travesty because what it's missing was accuracy and emotion. 
And I'd agree with it on both of those points. On the surface, it's a very attractive thing. But once you scratch the surface, it's really quite hollow and possibly dangerous underneath. I don't know. What, what was your take? Yeah, so I've not played with it, but I've heard quite a few examples. And the ones they referenced on this Cortex podcast, exactly what you've said. On the face of it, yeah, it was all right. It was quite interesting, but very generic. What, yeah, missed because they, they used it to do an opener for this Cortex podcast. Yeah, doing, a, doing an opening of Cortex podcast is if it's the two hosts and they've got issues with their microphones. And yeah, none of the three openings that they read out sounded at all good. And it was it was just missing, like you say, the depth, the emotion. So I think on the face of it, it's come a long way and it is crazily impressive what they've done. You can't deny that, but it's, it's still got some way to go, I think. It's kind of like with self-driving cars, isn't it? It's impressive what's happened so far, but there's still some way to go. Yeah, and this is the, it's sort of the attraction of these things, isn't it? It can catch the public eye, one of these AI-based tools, where it seems on the surface of it very plausible. It's, it's explaining something to you that is complicated in a way that seems understandable to you. But by making it so generalized, you're missing the nuance of what makes people experts and artists and sort of fundamentally understand what's going on. And we know most of these models are just trained on a corpus and a large amount of information from which they are able to make their inferences. And you see stories pop up every so often like that chatbot that was a Twitter thing that Microsoft put on Twitter and it very quickly became racist because of that bias that's endemic within those comments. It's not the AI's fault that it becomes biased, essentially. Well, it is because human beings write the algorithms that generate these things and human beings, despite their best wills, are biased be it, you know, they're unaware of it or they're aware of it or it's positive or it's negative. There's an amount of bias in everything you write, everything you say and everything you, that your opinions are formed from because that's part of being human, effectively. So when you train something on human output, you're going to end up with a biased, biased machine unless you can feed it balanced information. And I would argue that that's almost impossible. So these biases, yeah. But, yeah. You know, I agree with you. I think this is a good feat of engineering, but it's not going to replace anything today. And you know when you talk to a company and there's a chatbot, you know it's a chatbot because you can tell very quickly because they they miss a point you've made or they're too automated and they're just running off their predefined script and not and not analysing the answer you gave in the previous question. Yeah. So I think I see the, the attraction, but it worries me, <laughs> you know. Yeah, where's this going to go? Yeah, because the worry is that somebody just picks it up and runs with it. They want a simple definition of something. They manage to get access to this somehow, you know, be they vaguely expert enough to run it or they can run it inside of a window. They get an answer they want, they cut and they paste it and they put it on their advertising copy or to explain it to somebody, and it's wrong. And where does the buck stop there? Because as a human being, I put my reputation on the line when I stand in front of a, an audience and I present some research back to them, or we go on this podcast and we say something that's unsubstantiated, they can have a go at us and put it off. But if you're a bigger entity or a company, or you're unlikely to get sued by something you say, you've got to think very carefully about what it is you're putting out there. The point they made on this Cortex podcast was you could use it to do your homework. You know, Write me an essay on Martin Luther King and his beliefs in the story of a 10th grade. It was the American scenario they gave. And I thought, actually, that's quite cool. I'd love that if I was at school. Yeah, and we face this all the time in academia, that you, there are writing houses now that you can say, you can pay for somebody somewhere in Asia, perhaps, or, or somewhere, what, what, what was the Eastern Bloc, who have a lot of time on their hands, potentially, a bit of expertise to write you essays. So these houses that exist, and you go, here is £200, and when you write my dissertation on, on topic X, they'll go into the minimum amount of research, and they'll put something in. 
It's effectively plagiarism. Or just in the same vein as just copying somebody else's, because the chances are that's what they've done. And these AI models are effectively the same. And we're already having to look out for things like ChatGPT inside of academia for students doing exactly what you said. Yeah, yeah, it's not good, is it? And it's not new, I guess, that you know students can try and cheat on their homework. But yeah, yeah, I'm a bit mixed on it. I think it is interesting technically, and I'd like to see where it goes, but. I'm not sure I understand the practical use of it. Maybe the practical uses are chatbots will get better when you go to, you know, a retailer to return something. Yeah, and you could understand if it was just making sort of direct links to Wikipedia. If in your notes document, which is one of the ways I first came across this, and you're typing, here's your sentence, and you quickly want to define what IPv6 is the example I'll keep coming back to. It's it's a slightly different variation of 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 the internet protocol. Define IPv6 after the paragraph I'm doing, bang, and it just puts in some incomprehensible after it, and then you go in and type a thing. In quotes around what that is you're trying to say, without having it go, go to Google, without having to look it up, slash, define this, bang, nice crisp definition, move on. Possibly with a reference back to this came was from a computer-generated thing from this source. Helpful. Actually using it to write your essay? Unhelpful. And just, just, just to finish that thought, and at that point I can bring in Nick Cave's quote. He says that the imitation in the chat GPT song is a grotesque mockery of what it is to be human. And I think that actually defines it really well for, for how, how I actually feel about this becoming a replacement for what humans are able to generate through their research, through their art, through whatever. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I agree with that. You just, yeah. I'm hoping this is just a fad and quickly disappears. We shall see. So there's two stories there, the links we've talked about. And then the third one is just an ongoing thing of the other side of this, which is about stable diffusion, which is a similar thing to generate art or generate imagery based on a, a free text speech. So you could say, draw me a thing of Boris Johnson eating crisps while being attacked by seagulls. And it would try and do something in that nature for you. But the danger in the, in the stable diffusion thing is you can say in the style of this great comic book artist. And what they did for that is they scraped the internet's content where it was available. Getty Images is a big resource where you can pay to have images for your marketing copy or, or whatever you want to use it for. And they scraped these resources without permission to do so. I think in some cases it still had the Getty Images boilerplate on it that was to, to stop you breaking copyright. So that seems like a fairly open and shut case. But these AI things are beginning to sort of appear. Yeah, I've seen a few of these image ones. You'd have thought they'd have put me in there. Don't don't get anything watermarked is kind of what, what you want to say is, is a premise there. And it isn't good, is it, when Getty Images watermark is splashed all over a supposedly AI image. So, yeah, I think that's a good look. But you can see there's going to be more and more of this stuff. Very much. I think that's it for AI this week. We'll move on from that. I was going to talk about Whisper, which is an audio engine as well, but I think we'll skip past that. We've, I think we've made our feelings clear. And it's just an area, you know, as tech enthusiasts, it's an interesting area to keep your eye on, maybe dabble with and understand. But the whole area makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah, I think when I see products or services with with extra AI added in, I'm like, is it really? Is it? Yeah, I'm still I'm still cautious, but interested to see where it goes. Yep. Anyway, moving on, and this is moving the 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 continuing layoffs in tech staff around the world, really. So we've reported on this before about Meta laying off lots and lots of people, but it continues this week where we now have many other tech companies sort of adding to that. And this week it's Microsoft who are laying off 10,000 workers because of, they say, decelerated customer spending. What do you make of this story? I'm not surprised because obviously I think we've had a few red flags because I think what Facebook, maybe they were first, obviously 
Yeah, we talked about Twitter enough, I think. They went, Google have gone, Microsoft have now launched. But they're not just announcing a small number of people and, you know, like, I'm going to say a 1,000, that is still a huge amount of people. But do you know what I mean? It's 10,000 people or 12,000 people. It is vast, but it does make you wonder how many people they've got, you know, in bloat in essence. How can they lose that many people and still carry on? Because that seems a huge number to me. And I've been through organizations when we've had to go through this. It's horrible. It's the worst thing about being a manager is having to let somebody go, not because they're doing a bad job, but because they're just, you know, who's in the budget anymore. And it's it, it makes it easier in a way to say, I'm sorry, they're using a the budget, but it's it's horrible because they've, they've worked hard. They carry on working hard. It's vast numbers, though, isn't it? It's, that's, I think that's the bit that scares me is how big these numbers are. Well, this is 4.5% of Microsoft's global workforce they're about to fire. Wow. It's not a small percentage, is it, really? It's interesting how these things are going, and there is one more link in the show notes to sort of the summary of all these things, which is from a Mastodon tweet. Google, 10,000. Market capitalization, 1.3 trillion. Microsoft, 10,000. Market capitalization, 1.8 trillion. Amazon, 18,000. Market cap, 9.92 billion. Salesforce, 8,000. Market cap, 151 billion. Wow, really? 1,000 market cap. I guess that's just Facebook, not Messi that we've talked about before. So if you just look at those big tech titans, you know, what are we talking? 40,000 people over just in the last couple of months across the industry? It's huge. Yeah, it's it's a vast number of people. But how have they managed to, like I say, have all these people and then all of a sudden go, no, we don't need them? That that what worries me. What have they all been doing? Do you, know, you, you think they were waiting lot. for the end of COVID just to, okay, we weren't going to cut, cut you off during the pandemic, but now it's over, bang, you're gone. Yeah, I, oh, I don't know. It, it's really frustrating me, I'll, I'll be honest, because it just doesn't sit right how they've managed to get to this size. So I got, I got two thoughts about this. One is, were they being hired to stop other companies hiring them? You know, were they coming out of university? Had they done an amazing research project? Were they junior or startups at another thing? And Microsoft and Meta and others have snapped them up because they were the new hotness and they didn't want them to go to their competitors. So we're just happy to eat the cost. Yeah, possibly. Maybe. But... So that that's one thing. And then the other thing is, so far, we haven't heard any redundancies from Apple. True. That is true. It feels though Apple's got a lot going on and we're going to talk obviously about some new releases they've got, but it feels like they are firing on a lot of cylinders and if they are going to launch the glasses this year and if they've got all the, the Apple TV stuff, the music stuff, you know, they've, they've got a lot happening. So I don't know. I'm a bit mixed on it. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. What were all these people doing? <laughs> were they in marketing? Were they devs? Or were they spread across the company? I mean, you could see when we were talking about John Carmack a couple of weeks ago that Oculus wasn't something he believed in. Well, he did believe in it, but he thought the implementation was bad. If they're struggling to make money on that, you can see them cussing that department. You know, in the same way, if Apple were to announce they were firing 500 people because the car wasn't going anywhere, you'd understand that, wouldn't you? But this this feels on a different scale. You know, this this is cutting to the bone a little bit because they're seeing maybe they're about to see profits getting squeezed. Now we've all finished with our IT spend post pandemic. People are stop are slowing down buying computers. People are not buying the software. People are just happy to pay their team subscription. They're not selling many many more of them as part of that team because they're just accepting it, as you said at the top of the show. Yeah, I think that's fair. And obviously, I think many households equally are feeling the squeeze. So even if you're buying stuff for a personal level, you, some of that spending is going to reduce. Maybe you're not going to buy an Xbox upgrade or a new gamepad or, or, you know, whatever it may be, because actually everything's a little bit tight at the moment. It does feel like that is more than just a UK thing. 
Yeah, definitely. Anyway, it is interesting. One of the one of the linked to articles says that these companies have got rid of more than seventy thousand people in the last year. That's I just can't get my head around that. I mean, we went through a period not long ago when you're struggling to recruit people because there weren't enough of them, and yet in a very short space of time we've gone polar the opposite way. I just yeah, blows my mind. There we go. Anyway, testing and we'll keep an eye on it. Moving on, I found a story this week that I thought would be right up your street about somebody at 9to5Mac using just an iPad as their main computer. There's a variety of computers of their, of their desk set up and they've got a nice standing desk and a nice amplifier and various bits and pieces. A couple of screens attached to. I just wondered if this was up your street really and if, if this was something you emulate, think other people should have. Is this is this your perfect iPad setup? I love this story because it shows I'm not the only one that just you know predominantly uses an iPad and buys a few accessories for it. I thought this was a good story. I wanted to put it in here just to show, look, you can buy an iPad. You can have loads of things plugged into it. It's not perfect. It's not a direct Mac replacement, but it is possible to buy an iPad, have a screen on it, have the extended display, have your own third-party keyboard, mouse, few extras, you know, speakers. Like I say, it's not replacing, an, you know, a Mac one-for-one, one, but there's a lot you can do with it. And I'm always worried I was the only iPad only person, and it's great to see this. Yeah, it's it's quite a it's quite the setup really with his various MagSafe charging pads, and it looks to me like he's got a place under his desk for. I, I either gets very cold feet or it's for his pet. I'm not sure which that's under his desk there. I'm, it could be a dog bed, but yeah, it, it looks it, like a dog bed. It does look like a dog bed. My dog would be struggle to get a bit snuggly in there, really. Frankly, she, she likes to be in a more of a donut shape than a sort of spread out in that sort of shape when she sort of settled them. But it's interesting. It's a lot. Yeah, of st- no, I, I think this is fantastic. I'm, I'm like, yes, yes, I like this person, and it's good. I like that they've got their iPad in portrait, which is something I play with every now and again, but often end up going back to landscape. But um, I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, more, more of these, please. <laughs> Fair enough. I can't really argue. It's interesting. He's got a Logitech camera stuck on, on top of the monitor, I think, rather than whatever was built into the actual screen. I'm uh, trying to. He must be use, using that with his Mac because that won't work unless he's got driver kit on it. But I haven't seen anything come out with driver kit yet since iPad OS 16, which allows you to use potentially third-party peripherals. But it's been very quiet on that front. But this reminds me of what life used to be like, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago when people post pictures of their Mac setup. Don't you think? This this feels, you know, a, a, bit, a bit like that era. Yeah, it does. And I suppose an iPad is a little bit different, isn't it? So it, it's interesting. I, I get the impression he spent quite a lot of money on the setup. Yeah, so I was looking at the screen because obviously we were talking about screens a couple of weeks ago and I think the screen was about eight or nine hundred pounds. So yes, cheaper than the studio display, but still a very expensive screen the speaker you can see there i mean that's about 300 pounds here in the uk i think the keyboard was circa 100 etc so there is some money there but you know i'm a big believer in it it's worth investing in the right setup so it looks fantastic i really like it i guess my one comment would be it looks like he sat quite far back from the screen and the ipad but i am interested in one of these stands where you can magnetically attach your ipad i've got a clamp stand and I lift mine in and out of the stand quite often because I, I go between the uh, folio case I've got and, and the stand. But I think the magnet way has got to be the future. It looks a bit unbalanced to me. Kind of need something on the left-hand side, the same sort of size as the iPad for me. Oh, I'm all right with that. <laughs> anyway, others are doing it. You're not the only iPad first person in the world there. You're not the only crazy out there. Yeah, no, it's just ratified my position. So very happy. This is fantastic setup. Love the post. Brilliant. Check it out in the show notes. I think that'll do us for news. Yeah, onto media. I think we've got a few for you. 
A few for me. I'm just going to say one other thing. Some Apple stuff was announced this week and we're going to deal with it in the main show. That's why it's not news in case you're wondering. Good point. Good point. Media. So I've been, I failed quite badly in media this week, frankly. It was full of aspirations to watch Mary Queen of Scots, not just because I'm a Scot, but I, you know, there's a cast that I quite like in there. It's people like Saoirse Ronan, David Tennant. You know, there are, there are some quality actors in Mary Queen of Scots. I managed 45 minutes of it. Did longer than the other film that you did five minutes of. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, what was that? Black Adam. Yeah, Black Adam I only managed five minutes of. 45 minutes of Mary Queen of Scots. I'm not having a go at the acting talent involved in it. The script was just terrible. It wasn't engaging in any way. Not worth watching. Skip it. I then went to look to the Rotten Tomatoes score afterwards and it was 47%, I think, the audience view. So not very good. Avoid. It has got quite an ensemble cast, hasn't it? It's got Marco Robbie on it, Guy Pearce, David Tennant, as you said, like fantastic cars. Cast, very disappointing though then. Okay, I'll avoid that. Avoid that, that's my top tip. It's one of those, I don't often give up on films. I've invested, I've got past the 40 minute mark particularly, I'll generally stick it out till the end. No, it wasn't doing it for me, off it went. Yeah, I'm like that with a novel, if you get to about 100 pages, yeah, I'm going to go all the way now. Yeah, I'm the same with you on a film, it's got to be horrific for me to give up on it. Yeah. Not as bad as Black Adam, but still not good enough. I've also continued to watch Extraordinary Attorney Wu, which I talked about last week, which is the Korean attorney who's got autism. What a terrific show. It's serious, it's got whimsy in it, it's got humour, it has genuine heart, the acting quality is fantastic, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. There are 14 episodes of it, I've done nine of them now so far, I think. Terrific. If you haven't seen Extraordinary Attorney Wu, I'd try, put, put, your, put your mind over rest a little bit and give it a shout, I would say. Yeah. I'll get around to that. I'll put it on the list. I've not seen it. On the list. Next Um, one's yours. Yeah, I've got some different films that that I have seen, some family films. So first off, I watched Matilda the Musical with my wife and my children at cinema. Went to one of these posh cinemas where you get served drinks, had a nice coffee in a china cup whilst watching a film at 11 o'clock in the morning. Fantastic cinema, sofas and everything. Quite enjoyed it. Quite a small screen, though, is the only thing I would say on that, that piece. But anyway, enjoyed the. It was good for the experience. Very expensive, though. But Matilda the Musical... It wasn't my first choice of film to watch. I hadn't seen the trailer, but just the title made me not want to go and watch it. But do you know what? I sat and watched it with my children and my wife, and actually it was pretty good. I thought they did a great job. Emma Thompson, the makeup, whatever they've done, really looked the part of the sort of the headmistress that is hateable by, you know, is hated by every child and teacher. But it was fantastic. Really well done. And not only did I have Emma Thompson in it, but it also had the guy whose name I can never remember that's won loads of accolades or recently and i didn't even realize he was in it now what is his name i hear stephen graham stephen graham thank you very much and he was fantastic in it whole thing would would recommend if you've got a young family really good good my my family went to see the stage show in london twice they enjoyed it so much so if they've got if they've got half as good at the film as the stage show was i'm not surprised you enjoyed it i haven't watched it that is good to know because my wife would like to go and see the stage show so maybe we should go and do that as a follow-up next up on my list was glass onion you've watched glass onion i said i would go and watch this i just watched knives out even though it's been out for three or four years i really enjoyed knives out i think i said that and you know what really enjoyed glass onion very different part of me likened it to gone girl where you get halfway through gone girl and suddenly the plot unfolds and it was kind of like that in this i won't give anything away but you kind of had a turning point and you go back through some of the story and see it from a different perspective. I thought it was really well shot. I enjoyed all the actors and actresses in it. I, yeah, I thought it was really good. Nice to see something different. Very different, I thought, than the original, if that makes sense. I didn't, obviously the main character is the same, but other than that, it was very different. 
idea of how it all hung together. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I definitely, definitely would recommend it. And I'm not a big Edward Norton fan, but I thought he was pretty good. Didn't he's good. I've got a lot of time for him, particularly after Grand Budapest Hotel. I think he's, he's, he's a fine actor who just sort of vanished from public view, mostly because the Hulk film bombed so badly, I think. Yeah, maybe. But he was good. It, the whole thing was, was, was well done. I, like I say, enjoyed it. Very easy to watch. So would, yeah. re- would it recommend. Fair enough. I'm just going to give a, a bit of instant feedback. Extraordinary Attorney Wu, 100% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Surely nothing could be that good. It's pretty good. <laughs> All right. Maybe, maybe it needs to go higher up the list. And then finally, just for me, just a brief bit follow-up on The Phantom Menace, because I know this is a very controversial film. And I did actually read up about the gentleman who played Anakin whilst I was watching it. And he had not a good life after his film. He kind of quit acting because of all the hate he was getting from the wider world and and everything. But I watched the first half of this film with my nine-year-old son, who's got very into Star Wars because he's been playing the Lego Star Wars game. And he really enjoyed it. He can't wait to watch the second half of it, but we, you know, we ran out of time. But he really enjoyed it. And you know what? I'll come back and watch it. Some of it stood up. Some of the effects were bit iffy there's a lot of talking and moving from a to b but he's really enjoying it and i just thought i'd give that feedback and it's nice to watch the films you know with a nine-year-old and see the world through his eyes yeah i think that's a fair comment george lucas always said he wasn't intending for the people that watched star wars and were our sort of age what going back and watching the three it was for the next generation and possibly to sell a few toys i'd say but but yeah, in retrospect, with a bit of distance, they're not quite as bad as I remember them. They've they've, they've got they have got merits. Uh, uh, d- directing a film trilogy starting with taxation of trade routes, though, I think is a bold move for for young kids. Yeah, I w- wouldn't disagree with that. I didn't really get into the mechanics of it, but he j- he just enjoyed it. I think I think that bit just washed over him. But that was good. So when you were saying at the start, of the actor that ruined his life, that was the kid that played him, not Hayden Christensen. Correct. The kid that plays young Anakin in only episode one, and then he's you know, he's not had a fantastic life since then. And you do hear that about a lot of young people that make it big when they're young, that they can't deal with having a, the money, the, the the notoriety or whatever. So yeah, it's a bit. I don't. I don't like those sorts of stories. No, fair enough. Jake something. Jake Tapper. I want to say. I'm guessing something like yeah, that. Yeah. Anyway, that's a shame. I'm glad. I'm glad your son enjoyed it though, and it is quite nice to go back and look at these things. Anything else in media? He's most excited about seeing episode three because he knows that's when 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 the turn happens. So he's really looking forward to that one. Got a lot of TV to watch there then as well. You know, you've got all the Clone Wars cartoons, and you've got the Bad Batch, and you've got Star Wars Rebels. And I blew his mind when I said there were TV shows as well, and he was like, "Oh, there's more!" And it was just like, "Let's just do the films. Let's do the nine films, and then we we take it from there." Yeah, the, there's a lot of Clone Wars TV shows. I think the seven animated series of the Clone Wars. Yeah, something like that. And then obviously all the more recent, you know, Disney Disney stuff that's come out. So yeah, we've, yeah. we've got some time to go yet. Lots to do. Else for media? No, not for me. And I've got nothing for games. So over to you on games. I've only really got one thing for games. Um, on my PlayStation, I downloaded uh, Ghost of Tsushima, which is a, it's quite hard to describe really. It's a medieval Japan. The Mongols have evaded, invaded the samurais. I don't think that actually happened in real life. I presume it's made up for the purposes of the game. The opening sequence is you as a horse, as a samurai, go down and try and deal with the Mongols. It doesn't go well. Your uncle gets killed and the rest of the game is you trying to get your revenge on the Mongols that came and you know did the dirty on your uncle and are working their way around Japan murdering and killing people. The graphics are beautiful. It is a stunningly amazing looking game. It takes full advantage of the PS5. All sorts of lovely fire effects. There's all sorts of particle effects for leaves falling and all sorts of things like that. 
It has combat blocks and dodges and all that stuff. You can be attacked by multiple people at the same time and you, can, you have to deal with that. There's an ongoing story. There's stealth elements. I haven't played that much of it. I'd say maybe about 15% at this point, but I'm just thoroughly enjoying it. I, I, I enjoy the setting. I enjoy the story. The graphics look amazing. Good advantage of the PS5's rumble. Yeah, good, on, honest-to-goodness, old-fashioned game in some ways that just looks fantastic. It does look amazing looking at the link in the show notes. What made you buy it? I fancied something different. I think I'm suffering from Call of Duty Overload, which probably some who listen may say about bloody time, but I I needed something different. And I realized I wasn't really taking a lot of advantage of my PS5. And at the moment, this is still an exclusive PS5 game. So I fired it up. I wanted something nice and fast on my nice big telly. And this seemed to fit the bill. That's fair enough. And that's kind of why I bought The Last of Us Part 1. A, I'd never played it. B, it'd been remastered for the PS5. And C, I think I was a bit Gran Turismo'd out. So it's like, actually, do you know what? I do fancy something different. And it's possibly why GTA 5 didn't land that well with me because I'd be playing a lot of car racing games and I didn't enjoy a lot of the swearing and the mechanics of it. And I actually, I'd really enjoyed The Last of Us. So I need to A, get on and finish it. But I just haven't had the time this week. But like you, I think I just wanted something different. A, something to take advantage of the PlayStation. Something I could just lose myself in. You, you kind of want that, don't you? I think sometimes a bit of a story and just, yeah, just let it run away. Yeah, so this was good. I don't need to think about it too hard. I can just sit back and enjoy the pretty, really, was was, was what I wanted. So, yeah, it's, it fits the bill from that. I should also confess, actually, one game I am having exposure to in my house because my nine-year-old son has started playing it. It's Fortnite because all of his mates are playing it. And so that has landed in my house this week. I've not personally played it. My wife was unsure about should we let him have it. And I was like, literally, all of his friends are playing it. He's been around the houses and played it. And so he did spend some of his Christmas money on a Logitech headset that plugs in into the PlayStation controller. I mean, he's been playing that with his friends. I hate PlayStation's way of controlling parental controls in the web browser, though. It's awful. And I hate when you use the app and you then get booted out to a web page to log in. But we bought this Logitech headset, very nice quality. Even my son was like, hey, this is nice for £30. So I probably will feedback on that at some point. And maybe I need to have a go at Fortnite and maybe understand the mechanic of it. Yeah. You're well, going to show me the same headset my son's got. No, I've got the wireless version of whatever their 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 PC one is. But I will say Logitech gaming headsets are, are lovely. I don't know when a headset started doing this, but this sort of ski band thing that they actually put in across the top of your head is just so comfortable instead of your head being up against the plastic. I don't know if I've just got an odd-shaped head, but that makes such a difference when you're sort of wearing these for an extended period of time. Very nice, not leather. Ear cups are fake leather as they'd be these days. Ear cups, they don't get sweaty if you're sitting wearing it for a long time. And for me, a battery that lasted a long time as well was quite important too. This is a G733, I think this is. I'll, I'll, I'll check that. Maybe put it in the show notes, but... If you want a wireless one, and it might be the wired version is what you've got. Logitech gaming headsets are really very good. Yeah, it, it came across. It's just, we found it online, and it's £29 on Amazon, down from 64 So it's like, oh, that's a good price. If you want it in different colors, it is more expensive. It's more like £55. But it's just a really nice bit, bit of equipment. And even my other son, who's not a gamer, tried the headset on. and was like, oh, actually, I might just get one of these for my iPad. Because they both had a child-friendly headset for their iPads many years ago, but they just don't feel the same. And they've got plastic headbands and, and obviously their heads have got bigger as they've got older and they just don't sit as well. And this just generally felt like a really nice made piece of equipment. And for £30, I thought the quality was really good. So yeah, we definitely recommend, but maybe I should try and have a go on Fortnite and, and report back on, on what I make of it because it's a world I know literally nothing about. I did try Fortnite briefly when it was first came to the scene because it was a 
an expansion of another game that they were making at the time, and they just quickly rolled out a battle royale when battle royales were becoming the thing to have. Player Unknown's Battleground was really what started this current battle royale craze, and Fortnite managed to get it on very quickly thereafter. I don't know if it's so much battle royale as tower building last time I looked at it as well. It just seemed to be lots of construction, which I didn't understand. I didn't play a battle royale game to build towers, but everywhere I went, everybody was building towers up into the sky as quickly as possible. And then to the- my trained eye, it looked like God, he was jumping out of like an aeroplane yeah. to land in the deployment zone and then shooting people. So that's what it looked like to me. That's how it starts, but then it seems okay. to it seems to, and then there's all the cosmetic sales they're trying to get over as well, which is certainly part of their. That, that, that might be the reason that Epic fell out with Apple, actually, because they, they make a lot of money selling Spider-Man skins and they have seasons and all the stuff that goes along with it as well. But it's certainly very addictive for, for, for kids to be part of that. I'm sure that will come. It will. Anyway, Nelson Games, I'm just popping my headset into the show notes so people can see it is a Logitech. No, no that was it. And I've popped, popped my one in as well. Good. Main show. Main show. So Apple released some things which I don't think we were expecting this time last week, or maybe we heard a slight sniff of a rumour, but I think seemingly out of nowhere, Apple have released, what should we start with? I was going to say, we should probably go in the order they came out. So they released a new Mac Mini with the M2 processor, new MacBook Pros with the M2 processor, and then a day later, for some reason, they then announced a new HomePod upgrade for the main HomePod. So it was interesting that they chose to, to spread out the releases. Sometimes I wonder why they don't spread them out more by days, so that you get more press time, if that makes sense, and you're in more of the headlines. It seems odd to me that they just have that slight delay. And it looks like everything that's been launched is just a hangover of last year. So for whatever reason, they didn't ship last year because people were looking at the videos and in the address bar, it was showing 2022 as as the year it should have been published. So it does feel like they could have probably had enough for an October, November event like they normally do with the iPads that got refreshed, which was a press release in October, and then these Macs and the, the HomePod, that would have made a pretty good event to get all of those updates in. But to be fair, I think it looks like a good start to the year. So sh- shall we dive into them? Yeah, sure. Do you want to start with the HomePod or should we finish in the HomePod? No, why don't we st- end with the HomePod? Because I think I think that, that came out last. So let's start with the Mac Mini. So Mac Mini has been updated with the M2. They've stopped sending the M1. They've even got rid of the Intel one, which is great. So there's only one Intel Mac left, which is the Mac Pro, which may or may not get released this year. I, th- I think it's looking like it will get released this year. So Apple are behind their two-year transition by... I don't know, circa six months at this point, but I think we can give them a pass as it's quite A, quite aggressive and B, you know, supply chain and everything else going on in the world. But they bought a new Mac Mini. It's got the M2 in it. They've actually dropped the price of it, which I think is interesting for the base model. And I think the base model looks fantastic. If somebody wants to get a Mac and get into a Mac or as a young child that wants to get into it, the Mac Mini is a great device it's still 600 pounds but it's a great first device and you can plug your own screen into it your own keyboard and your own mouse or you can buy bluetooth ones or whatever you desire so i think it's great they've done that um and they've also increased it so that now the mac mini will come with the m2 pro chip so you can buy it with a regular m2 or the m2 pro which the the previous m1 never had and you can go all the way up to 32 gig ram if you get the pro and i just think it looks great just to note the pro also comes with four thunderbolt ports instead of the two that the regular m2 comes with so it looks like a great great machine and actually i think this bridges the gap but in the desktop market between the mac mini and the mac studio i mean we talked last week about apple's price points and filling every price point and this is their way of doing it i think on the desktop lineup so um, no i was really 
pleasantly surprised. I'm disappointed it doesn't look any different because I think we've had the same sort of design for a long time now. It would be nice to see something aesthetically different, but what a great machine. And actually, it's a machine you can easily recommend to people. Yeah, I agree with most of that. The chips needed updating. Obviously, the Mac Mini and the MacBook Pro were the first machines to get the M1 chip back in the day. So we've been looking at this Mac Mini in Apple Silicon for more or less since the transition to Apple Silicon began. Um, I'm agree, I agree with you. It's disappointing. It looks like last year's. They don't even offer a space gray one. They used to offer a space gray Mac Mini as well as the sort of shiny silver one, which is what these are. They do look identical to what they looked before, with the exception of they're something like a couple of millimeters bigger for some reason. So they have slightly redesigned the cases for, for some reason. To fill in the lineup a little bit, the base model, the £649 one, I'll, we'll talk UK prices rather than US, is an 8-core CPU, M2 obviously, 10-core GPU, 8 gigs of RAM, 256 gigs of SSD. I'll come back to that. The mid-spec, 8-core CPU, 10-core GPU, 8 gigs of RAM still, 512 of storage. So effectively, all you're getting in that one that's different is a little bit more SSD, 256 SSD, and the price goes up to 849. Just for there's no way a 512 gig SSD costs that much money, but we'll skip over that. And then it's to get, not like the 512 SSD is it? It's the 256 is the difference. Yeah, that's all it is. And then skipping up to the first Pro one, so an M2 Pro, which is a 10 core GPU, CPU, 16 core GPU, 16 gigs of RAM, which becomes usable. 512 gigs SSD is 1,399. So. While I'm with you and I agree, this is good. I mean, and I don't think the M2, the M2 is better than the M1, but if I had an M1, I wouldn't be rushing to buy an M2 for the marginal performance increases that you get. It's a good replacement. You know, they take it out and they've dropped the price a little bit on this one. I think that's fine. I think it's swinging to only offer 256 gigs of SSD storage in your base model, even for 649. You can go and buy a terabyte stick of SSD for your PlayStation at not very fast storage for about 94 quid. So this isn't very generous, but then it's Apple, so you know you pay a tax for that. If you've got the money and you're looking for something under a Mac Studio, the Pro one is what you go for, but you're out of pocket for 1,400 quid at that point. So, Yeah, I agree with you. I think what's interesting here is those, they didn't keep the M1 around to fulfill the lower price point. They managed to get the M2 to hit it, which I, I think is good. I mean, it's great that they're actually simplified the lineup. Yeah, I was, I'm interested a little bit in the, in the Pro one. I'd want probably a bit more RAM and a bit more hard drive space as I'm sharing it with the family. But I'm, yeah, a little bit curious, if I'm honest, but probably something I'd pick up when they're on sale. I think it looks great. It's great to see the update and they're refreshing it. This is what we wanted before. I mean, you will remember the time when they hadn't updated the Mac Mini for two or three years. I can't remember the number now. It was a long time. So it's great to see we're starting to get more frequent updates with the with them. And even if it is just a spec bump, just drop the new chip in. It's great to see it from some of the old days where we were with the Macs, where they were just a product in the lineup, but not, not getting refreshed. And it was getting a bit embarrassing. No, I 100% agree with that. If you remember back in the day, in the laptops particularly, they just they'd bump the ships every year. The next Intel chips would come along and they'd just sling them in there and the prices wouldn't change necessarily and they'd just get on. In that very solid generation of MacBooks, the 2012 to 2015, 2016, whatever it was, which had the MagSafe chargers as well before the butterfly keyboards came along, those laptops were incrementally upgraded all the time. And if they're going to do this with Apple Silicon ones, this is great. I'd skip the M2 having an M1. The M3, which goes down to a three nanometer process, is going to be far more interesting and probably bring a lot more bang for your buck. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm, I'm not in any crazy rush for anything right now. I just think it's a great update. It's good to see it. I'll, more of this, please, Apple. And it's a great start to the year. Yeah, it's, it's, and I, to walk back a little bit, 
the base model for $649, $559, mind. Sorry, $599, so much cheaper in America. Is a great in to the Apple market. The I've installed a couple of the new generation iMacs that are 8 gigs of RAM with only 256 SSD. And for the majority of people, that's more than good enough. So if you have got a screen kicking around and a mouse and a keyboard, this is a great entry to the Apple market. Apple Silicon is a fantastic platform to move to. The M2s are better. It's going to be good enough to surf the web, write letters, do 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 it's a great place to start. Not a horrendous amount of money for Apple entry. So don't get me wrong, I think it's swinging, but it's still as good an entry to the Apple market as we've had for years. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. But it is good. And I think if we mentioned it, but the M2 Pro will go to 32 gig RAM, whereas the M2 regular will go to 24. So that that's even improved on last year. So no, I think it's great. And then following it, they also announced at the same time a new M2 MacBook Pros, which in the same vein, very similar. They've now got M2 Pro and Max chips within the MacBook Pros that you can opt to buy. And they've done a few other minor updates too, such as having HDMI 2.1 on them. Other than that, not, nothing major to report. But again, they're, they're, they've retired the M1 chips. They've brought out the new updated chips. Fantastic to see it. Again, little and often updates, I think, are a very good way for Apple to go. So the most important thing with this, according to the internet, is the fact that you now get your MagSafe charging cable color matched with a braided cable to space gray or, or the lighter gray. Yeah, that did seem a bit of a ball drop. I can't remember which way around it was. That I think if you bought the space gray one, you got the silver one or, or vice versa. Um, whereas when they brought out the M2 MacBook Airs, you got the right color cable. So that did seem, yeah, a bit of a ball drop. But fantastic to see that M2s, you know, Pro and Max chips, more or less direct replacement of the M1s. Like I said, the M1s now disappeared. You can actually pick up the M1 MacBook Pro with about £400 off on the refurb store. So it's great to see that's that's dropped and is quite an attractive buy probably for, for a lot of people. Yeah, I'm sitting here with an M1 MacBook Pro at 16-inch, not feeling any envy for these at all, frankly, at this point, because for all the reasons I've already talked about with the M2. Just to whip through the prices, so in the 14-inch, the bottom spec, 10-core CPU, 16-core GPU, 16 gigs RAM, 512 SSD, £2,149. Moving to the middle spec, 12-core CPU, 19-core GPU, that's an odd number, 19-core, 16 gigs of unified memory, 1TB SSD, £2,699. And the top spec, although of course you can add to this, 12 core GPU, 30 core GPU, 32 gigs of RAM, one terabyte SSD, £3,349. And I won't read out all the 16 inch specs, I'll just go straight to the top. So the only difference between the 14 inches and the 16 inches is literally two inches of screen size and weight and slightly better speakers in the, in the bigger model because you've got more space in the chassis. The top spec, M2 Max this time, not M2 Pro. 12 core CPU, 38 core GPU, 32 gigs unified memory, one terabyte SSD, 3,749 quid. They're not cheap, are they? They're not cheap. And I think, as is true with Apple, the prices have gone up because of the dollar being so strong. In turn, what didn't get formally announced was the iMac's gone up £250 as well. Even though it's unchanged, the iMac has gone up in purchase price as well. It, yeah, it's super interesting. With the 16-inch MacBook Pro, you can now get circa 22 hours of Apple TV playback, which is amazing. 22 hours playback on a laptop. That literally is all-day battery, which is something Apple's been touting for a long time. And I think that's only up one hour from the previous model, but even so, little and often, these incremental updates, they, they start making a big difference. Yeah, it does show, even when it's not a generational change, it's still in the 5 nanometer process, that they're still able to do something within these laptops to because they haven't increased the battery size. It's at the maximum you can have to legally take a laptop on a plane 99 watts or something like that, or 99.5, whatever it is they've put in there. So they haven't changed the battery spec 
somehow they've managed to squeeze another hour of it. And I got to say, as a 16-inch Mac, MacBook Pro owner, the bat there's nothing wrong with the battery. I've never felt that I'm I'm la- lacking for battery. In fact, you can do this with Macs these days. It tells you whether it's charging it or not when you plug it in. I I leave mine plugged in so much it doesn't. It never bothers charging. I take it from work. I come back to home. You know, to and fro. It never charges up. It just sits at around fifty odd percent. I have the option to right click on it and go top the battery up, but. I don't need another hour's battery life. I've now hit the point with the battery in this where I can travel internationally and not feel any sort of range anxiety with these laptops. So this is a good solid update and it just it makes me wonder what's going to be possible with the next process devolution, really. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're really doing something great here, aren't they? I mean, 20-odd hours in a battery. Because you imagine it when we were back at university 20 years ago going, one day, you know, you'll be able to use your laptop all day and it'll be quite light in comparison and have an amazing screen so now i'm really impressed with them i think they're great devices it's a shame that here in the uk even if they're trying to keep the prices the same which it does appear apple are doing the dollar is hurting us because it's so strong at the moment hopefully that will come down at some point but it's rare that apple will do, do a price update that goes in the right direction you don't often see that yeah it is pretty rare but again to revisit your point I'm glad that they're doing this. I'm glad they didn't feel they needed to do a whole dog and pony show to get all the press together just to announce it. What is really an incremental upgrade? We're happy with an incremental upgrade. I think this is the right way of doing it. They produced a flashy video. They upgraded the things that needed upgrading, the things that have been in the lineup the longest, the Mac Mini and the MacBook Pros. The MacBook Pros are probably their best sellers in some way. So this is good. You know, Not surprising. As you say, there was a hint that it was coming. I'm glad that they've done it. If they continue to do this and sort of bump the lines, for example, the iMac's gone up in price. Do you think they'll get an M2 bump? Why didn't they bump its processor at the same time? Will that stay and become an M3? Will they wait for a 27-inch one? I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting, the iMac. I kind of hope they do do an M2 one, but yeah, at which point are they going to reach the, oh, we've missed the M2 transition, we're going to have to go straight to the M3. So yeah, I don't know. And Will every device get every chip every year? And We need to see how the Apple transition shakes out. But I'm a little curious on the iMac because if I do replace the family computer with something maybe that's the right one for me for the children to have so I, yeah I'm 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 keen to see where we go keen to see what the cadences of these transitions it's upsetting that like I say every time they release something prices go up of seems seems to be everything not just what what they've released and I thought the announcement video they did it was about I can't remember it took a 20 minutes long but what a great little video and it was just like having a regular keynote they didn't need a big old press event, like you say. Just give us the updates. If you want to do a video, that's great. Just just drop that in there and people can watch it and soon be okay with, the, with the, the the changes in the devices. So, yeah, I thought it was really solid update. Yep, good. And then the product we weren't expecting. Yeah, the, the product we weren't expecting. So in 2018, Apple brought out a HomePod. It was a fantastic speaker. One of us has got four of them. Still think they're great. They sound amazing. But... They didn't really do anything with it, and then they killed it off, and then they brought out the HomePod Mini, which has been a triumph, I think, really. The HomePod Mini's been out there for a couple of years now. It's getting great feedback. It's not expensive. Well, it's relatively expensive for a small speaker. It's about circa 90 to £100 pounds in the UK. That did go up in price today by £10. Pounds. But a great little speaker. I've got a pair of them here in my shed. And I use them all the time with my Apple TV. It works flawlessly. They fixed whatever they were doing with that because it was a bit buggy at one point. But today, Apple have now announced a new regular HomePod with no prefix or suffix and it's coming at 299 pounds and it looks like the previous regular home pod it costs just 50 pounds less here in the uk it's lost some tweeters and some speakers but largely seems like the same product it seems very bizarre to me that they've bought this out and i thought if they're going to bring anything out 
it, they'd be going for the 199 mark not the 299 mark because is this four times better than the home pod mini sorry three times better than the home pod mini i can't do my maths this is a weird product if they'd released this the year after they had put the original home pod out i'd have completely understood this product i don't if they'd taken their the sort of refinements they'd learned i think there were some hardware issues with the first generation of this the capacitors or something would blow on them and there was issues with them yes i believe so um but i've never seen that i've heard about it but i've never had any of those problems mine have been, mine have been pretty good they get used infrequently the bit that's let my my ones down the regular home pods is they're just a bit slow and slow to react and i don't understand why and i mean it's got an a8 chip in it from a phone from about five years ago but all it's doing is playing music it's, it's not doing anything that hard so i don't understand why it is so slow and i'd like to have seen some optimizations come with this the software and there is going to be ios 16.3 la- launching this week and that will include the home pods and the tvs and your watch and everything there's going to be a, you know a whole plethora of updates coming out i'm hoping that brings some performance enhancements because they are doing some updates specifically for the original HomePod. So I'm curious to see what they're doing there, but it just seems to have got slower over time. But the original HomePod, fantastic product, was too expensive, possibly too over-engineered. And maybe that's what they've done with this new big HomePod is just to buy the internal hardware design. I thought the original HomePod had a watch chip in it. I didn't think it was an A8. No, it was an A8 in the original. The HomePod Mini's got a watch chip from the Series 5, so it's got the S5 chip. And the new big HomePod's got the S7 chip, so that's from the Series 7 watch, which came out about 15, 16 months ago now, so last October in 2021. Apparently, that's a lot quicker and should be a lot better, but like I said, I wouldn't have thought the chip would have been the, the thing that slowed the device down. Siri is the thing that slows the device down. Siri's the problem. I don't disagree with that statement. I mean, even my children acknowledge how rubbish Siri is. So I'm curious to see. I w- I'd like to see once the update's out, the 60.3 update, does that actually bring any refinement to the original HomePod? But it's great to see they're still investing in the lineup. I do think it's still too expensive for what it is. I think they're going to sell very few of these. Yeah, if you look at this compared to something like a Sonos S5, and S5 is a far superior product, it's a little bit more money, but it sounds. I suspect it sounds better. And I trust the ecosystem a little bit more. And it does airplay too. And I suspect Bang & Olufsen and others do speakers that sound in the ballpark of this. And I know there's some, again, some podcasts where they're very, very keen that this is the best sounding speaker you can get for the money. My my HomePod minis are okay. I don't think they're the greatest sounding speakers I've got. The, the sort of computer speakers I've got attached to this one, which are JBLs, I'd say sound an awful lot better than that and are about the same amount of money. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think the HomePod minis are pretty good. I do like them. I think... Apple need to do some work on the software ecosystem to really make this sing because for whatever reason, they've lost it. And I think fair play to Sonos. They've just carried on iterating on what they do, gain little and often, both on the software and the hardware front. And I think now they've got the respect of a lot of people because it is better than Apple's own implementation. And so I'm hoping that 16.3 will improve a lot, but I am skeptical. I'm quite looking forward to 16.3. It's good for this. It'll be good for HomePods. I managed to get mine working again, by the way, my HomePod minis after lots of pairing and unpairing and repairing and, you know, taking them off iCloud and put them on the ground. I think it took three goes and eventually they woke up and I could start using them again. Didn't endear me to the product at all. That's the problem. You lose faith in a product, don't you? Because my son was trying to add something to our shopping list the other day. We, I think we sat at the dining table. He goes, hey, Siri, add tomato ketchup to the shopping list. And then Siri goes, who's this? And then I can't do that. And then I don't know who you are. Chris. 
I've added ketchup to the shopping list list. I don't know if you heard that, but Siri has just kicked in. I should have said, hey, dingus. But he was really struggling with it. And in the end, I said, look, just stop. I'll just type it. It will be quicker. Whereas Siri's never delivered on that promise of doing things quickly. Yep. And in 16.3, we're going to get all of our encryption stuff as well in, in, in a worldwide rollout. So I'm actually more interested in that than I am in a lot of the, the audio updates. Yeah, I, I won't disagree with that. And I've actually done one of the prereqs, which is to make my wife, my recovery contact ready. But I've done nothing further because I'm waiting for the release to come out everywhere before I turn it on. Fair enough. I think that, are you going to buy one? I suppose is the question I should finish on. I'm not buying anything, actually, I don't think. Interesting, actually, 6.3, they will turn on the humidity sensors in my HomePod minis. I don't know what that's going to give me, but it'll be interesting to see. But no, I'm not planning to buy anything at this point. I'm more worried about fixing my existing iPad, I think. How about yourself? No, I'm not going to buy anything from this lineup. I did go through a brief period in my head earlier of thinking, I, re- I, I remember talking about one of the second generation Apple 4Ks, T- Apple TV 4Ks, and then I might move my HomePod minis to be speakers on my TV that doesn't have surround sound, just to sort of experience that and see if it's any good, because I know what my sort of sound bar is like on the main TV. So I'm vaguely running that through the back of my head, but that's not a new product. None of these things, even corporately, I don't think I'm thinking about buying at this point. If I need to buy new laptops for staff, I'll buy them M2 Mac but pros because that's what's there but i'm not rushing to buy any of these uh, these new releases although i do think the mac mini is a you know a, a good solid product yeah i think it's been a solid update week but nothing, nothing really for us because we're just not in the market i think it's fair when you buy an apple tv i think you mean the third gen 4k that's the current one that's out the second gen one was the one before it with the thread which is what i've got quite a few of and then the, the first 4k one i've also got one of those as well i found that really solid experience there with the home pods well, that means I've already got one and maybe I just need to shuffle things around a bit. Yeah, potentially. Because that's the one with the new remote control, wasn't it? That was the second yeah. one. Oh, I'm in business. There you go then. Sorted. Money saved. Anyway, I think that'll do us for the main show. Anything I should add? Anything you know to add? No, I, th- I think we've covered it. Great cool. updates. Good. App of the week, Ice Cubes. So this is a Mastodon app. I seem to be recommending a lot of Mastodon apps at the moment. It's where my head is. It's what I'm sort of trying to find the right thing. I'm running two. I mentioned before I managed to get in on the Ivory beta, which is rapidly drawing close to release, I think. The death of Twitterific has spurred them on an awful lot to get Ivory out the door. It looks like it's mini subscription based on the test subscription that was in the test flight built build that I looked at today. It's going to be £15 for a year subscription for that or £1.99 a month. I'm happy to pay that. I'm happy to pay that company to keep them existing. I think they work very hard. They deliver excellent apps. I'm very happy with Ivory. They don't have a Mac app yet though, and Ice Cubes is available on all the platforms. So I've got Ivory on my iPad and my iPhone, and I recommend Ice Cubes at the moment to try out. If A, if you're not on the Ivory beta, B, you just want something that looks and acts a little bit differently, and C, if you want something on your Mac. So that's my recommendation for the week. It seems like a good recommendation. I think I, I would agree with that, even though I still haven't found the urge to post anything on social media. You need to get on there. Now's the time. If you want a following, you've got to start somewhere. Yeah, I can understand that. Maybe now is the time. I think we can call that a show. I think that is a show. So if anybody wants to reach out, you can email us at wakefromsleep at ProtonMail. We're both on Mastodon, as we just discussed, and names are in the show notes. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rob. Good Have a good one. Bye.